BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the host of this podcast where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring but down-to-earth conversations with some of my favorite luminaries who are making good change. Today's guests I have selfishly asked on because they're two of my closest friends and I honestly just wanted to catch up. We're talking to the founders of a new Mezcal brand called Rosa Luna, Nate Brown and Terry Lee. Nate, who's a creative director who's worked with the likes of Kanye and Beyonce, and Terry, who's brought products to life for brands like MeUndies and Johnson & Johnson, created Rosaluna together to honor the spirit of Mezcal, handmade and distilled in Oaxaca, Mexico, with the goal of bringing people together through the magic of Mezcal. I'm sure you guys have seen it all over Instagram, and I promise you're going to see it on your bar cart soon. After one sip, it has truly become my drink of choice. In this episode, Nate and Terry tell us what goes into making Mezcal and their insights on building a brand at their own pace. These are two people who I admire so much and take career advice from on a daily basis, so definitely take notes, guys. I hope you love the episode. If you haven't subscribed to the show and you find yourself coming back, take the time to subscribe, leave us a review, and if you love the show, share it with a friend. As you guys know, I love seeing when you're listening on social, so take a screenshot, tag me. I always reshare as you guys are listening. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing week. Here are my friends, Nate Brown and Terry Lee. New York. Unique New York. Does this, is this backdrop okay for you? Terry's nervous. Terry's nervous. That's what's happening right now. Hi, guys. I miss you. What's going on? Where are you calling in from? We are in sunny Miami Beach, Florida. Why are you guys down in Miami? We came down here because it's probably the next market that we're going to open up for Rosaluna. So we wanted to just like explore it. And it's like one of the few markets that's still open from a, a like restaurant perspective. So they drink a lot of Mezcal here. And we wanted to sort of look at like what opening up Miami might look like for us. For clarity, for people listening right now, since there's three of us in the room, can both of you introduce yourselves so everyone knows who's speaking when we're going? Hi, I'm Terry. Hi, I'm Nate. Okay, and hi, I'm Olivia. Great. Now that we have that all settled, <laughs> how did the two of you meet? We met through a mutual friend of ours who has a clothing brand in LA called John Elliott. John's 
partner, Aaron Levy, got on a phone call with me or he texted me. He's like, I need to ch- talk to you about someone. And that like rarely happens. And especially with the lens of Aaron, since to this point in time, I've known Terry for a little over five years now, Aaron hasn't done that again. Um, so it shows you the <laughs> frequency of how often he calls you to talk about a person. And he was like, jumped on a phone call. And he's like, you got to meet this guy, Terry. He's just like, like you, like you just would get along with him and you guys are probably gonna do something really cool and fun together. I think he put us on a text thread or something, or I think yeah. I just called you or something. It was yeah. a very weird situation where like, I've never to this day have, I've never met anyone else that in that capacity before. It's like a blind date almost. I should call Terry. Like, let me call t- <laughs> Terry. And I call Terry and we're just kind of like, it's awkward. We're like, Hey man, like Aaron said that we should talk to each other. And, and then it kind of manifested itself as like, Terry was working on another project at the time. And we started actually working together on that other project. And we just became, maybe it sounds kind of cheesy, but we just became like best friends. And the project was in our lives, but it was like secondary to us just like traveling and hanging out and going to parties and drinking and listening to music and doing fun friend things together. And through that journey of friendship, we were like, Mezcal was this constant theme that was presenting itself to us. And We'll, I'll pause there because I think that might be like a thing that we talk about later, but that's how I met Terry. Nate, I love your uh, hesitation on this podcast. It's making my job very easy. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, I think we met at a rave. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we met at a rave. Actually, we met slightly before that. We met at your, your mom's place on July 4th. Oh my God. How could I forget? I'm so embarrassed. Which was, by the way, basically <laughs> a rave. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Guys, it was a crazy night. There was a lot of people. I was really uncomfortable. And Terry just like instinctually stood by my side and was like, yeah, you're doing this right. I was like, did I say something wrong? Was I mean to those people telling them to move? And Terry was like, no, that was good. You're doing good. I was like, wait, have we met? Yeah, you're like, sorry, who are you again? (laughs) I just got to say, I had, I like from first impressions had so much respect and admiration for Liv because she handled a very difficult situation with like, grace in class and like we also we were really really drunk so uh, <laughs> yeah i remember that vividly nate you were just saying that the two of you met through working on a project together what was the project it was a i mean do you want to like share um, more it, yeah it was it was a skincare brand that i had launched with uh, a couple partners um called panacea and nate came on to help creative direct and uh, build brand identity so i think the first like yeah project we worked on together on that note, Nate, you are the founder of Studio Institute. You've worked with incredible people like Jay-Z, Beyonce, Janelle Monet. You've collaborated with Nike and Calvin Klein and a bunch of amazing people. Can you tell us a little bit about Studio Institute? My start was in, um, in the fashion industry and in the luxury fashion space, like working with Barneys and Alexander Wang and working at the window back when Barneys was like thriving and we used the window as a creative content platforms to like launch all these brands like The Row and Philip Lim and Robert Keller. And so that was how I got like initiated into the industry. And I was just like a scrappy kid who didn't really have any like formal education, literally, literally and figuratively. And so I was just like the person that was there to like pick up the camera. And like, now that I look retrospectively, I was probably just also like the cheapest possible option. (laughs) And then I was like, and then I learned my craft through that process. And, um, continue to grow and learn and through that process was able to just continue working with more and more people that I respected and was inspired by. And that led to working with some, yeah, really, and continues to this day leading to working with some really incredible people. So on the flip side, Terry, and by the way, this is like why I think you guys make the best duo ever. Terry, you're like the master in the product space. You've worked for like 
Johnson & Johnson. You were the chief operating officer at Meandes. What drew you to help bring products to life? Is that something that like you always did or were interested in as a kid? I just feel like I've been a very like kind of goal-oriented person, like very much like, okay, you set your one, three, five, 10-year goals and you kind of go out and achieve them. And and I, I remember hearing a quote like, you know, just as I was just as I graduated from college and it just kind of spoke to how like life just unfolds much more beautifully than you could ever predict or imagine or even kind of set goals around. And I, I don't want to like overlook the value of setting goals. I think that's powerful, but I think just being open to how life leads you. And and for me, I think the only connection that I had to brands and products was just my family. We were really fortunate and lucky to travel a lot when I was younger. So my parents were originally from South Korea and we traveled a lot to there. LA was the second home for my parents. So we'd come to LA a lot. Um, I grew up in Cleveland. So it was like kind of this Midwest boy and we do a lot of car trip, like road trips as well. So I think just getting exposed to like different stores, different brands, different people, different cultures, just kind of opened up my mind. But I actually ended up studying pre-med in college. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did a 180 and ended up working at Johnson & Johnson. So, Whoa, what, like, what was your focus in pre-med? What were you interested in doing? The way I thought about it, because at least when I went to college, you had to declare your major before you even started class, right? Before right. Freshman year. So I was like, you know what? My, my dad, is a, he's a surgeon and he really likes what he does. And I like sports. I, I went to Notre Dame to play soccer. And so I was like, oh, sports medicine sounds interesting. And uh and that was kind of the the rationale that I had. And I like I was not good at science. I, I like was like very passable at best. And but I think like I had this like dogged determination. So I ended up graduating with a pre-med degree, uh, but then ended up applying to med schools and like interviewing and going through that whole process and being like, all right, this is definitely not the path. And was just lucky to have met uh, a friend, mentor of mine to this day, who ended up connecting me with an opportunity at Johnson and Johnson. So. It just kind of was a very circuitous route. This is why I like love forcing my friends on my podcast because I learned so many things about them that you would not ever hear about just like in normal conversations. <laughs> like had no idea that any of those things happened. And words circuitous. I feel like this is where a part the part in the podcast where like it needs to <laughs> pause and then some like a voiceover comes in like circuitous. Dictionary definition <laughs> is <laughs> like, I, I don't, what is that word? I've never heard what, of it. What does that mean actually? Or I think it's like, yeah. I'm gonna like, count you on this. <laughs> By the way, my new thing has been like when someone says like a big word, I'm like, stop, pause, please. What does that word mean? More just, it's more so I can learn. Like, Me if too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done pretending to be like, uh huh, circuitous. I'm like, actually gonna write that down and Google it later. I, I need to make sure it's a word. <laughs> like that. I, I hope it is. I hope it is. We'll be right back after a quick break. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were. And now you can join them in what's next. Our Crowd is a global venture investing platform that empowers institutions and individuals to invest and engage in emerging companies. With Our Crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Their investors have benefited from companies IPOing, like Beyond Meat, or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can join Our Crowd's investment in an amazing company called Future Family the fintech innovator removing the costs and complexity barriers of fertility care. As they transform the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar fertility care industry, Future Families products give everyone the opportunity to build the family of their dreams. And you can get in early on Future Family and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com friend. To start investing, head to Our Crowd to see if you complete the requirements to become an accredited investor. 
and join their network of over 50,000 accredited investors in 180 countries around the world. If you become one, you can join our crowd for free at O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash friend and review the current deals. There is no payment involved until you decide to participate in a deal. Again, your Our Crowd account will be free. Just go to O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash friend. Happy investing. I'm Anisha Ramakrishna, and I'm an Indian entrepreneur and TV personality with big dick energy. You may know me from Bravo TV's Family Karma and of course, social media. I grew up in a very conservative Indian family, but I have always forged my own path and live life on my own terms. I recently left my successful career in New York City and my long-term relationship to pursue my own fashion business. I'm single in my mid-30s and I live with my parents. I'm currently cringing and I know you are too. Join me as I spill the chai on my own cringeworthy personal life experiences every Thursday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So what was the moment that the both of you through your friendship were like, hey, let's go into business together? Because I feel like that's a tough line to straddle when you are really good friends with someone. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who do have great ideas that they bounce around with their friends. But like, what what was it that allowed both of you to identify that going into business with each other was a good idea? I feel like we're going to have answers. Cherry's laughing. It's actually probably really Cherry's, exciting. Yeah. But like, I don't think there was ever that moment. Meaning like, I don't think we sat down and were like, let, we just align on a couple fundamental things. Like we align on the way that we communicate. We align big on one. the way certain big ideas about the way that we see the world. And like the term we always use is like same wave. Like we're just kind of like thinking about certain things the same way that are almost like these guidelines that we just kind of have towards our, our ideas around certain things. And so it was never, it was never like an aha moment where we were like, okay, by the way, like, let's just have this convo. <laughs> we're going to go into business together. Here's the things that we need to follow. Well, now you're like making a- my question sound bad. <laughs> Yeah, we just started doing it and we started experiment. Experimentation, I think, is a, a big part of the way that we view the world and the fluidity of experimentation and allowing yourself to try something and then adjust and change, et cetera, and see what the outcomes are. And, and so we approach the idea of building the business kind of very organically like that. What was the aha moment of Rosalina for both of you? I think friendship has been the one unifying thread through everything that we've done with Rosaluna. But there's this back history of like, even though we launched in October, so it was a few months ago, it actually has been like four I mean, years in the making. And, and I think that's an important thing for us to take away, which is like, we live in a day and age where, you know, there's this expectation that brands are started overnight and they grow to, you know, unicorn status or billion dollar status. And you know, you do a SPAC and you go public, to, you know, tomorrow, like there's all this like SPAC s- emphasis on speed. By the way, speed and, and, and her, and like, we talk about a lot about that because to Terry's point, well, one, I'll touch on the fact that like the, to the aha moment was like, oh, we can share the things that are special about our friendship with other people through the vehicle of Mezcal. That was like, oh fuck. Like I can go over to Sammy and Austin's and Max and Gabe and like bring and you know like bring this thing over and be like by the way we can also now all share this and that was like that was, the brand could just have stopped there and it's like cool we're, we're successful you know and so that was kind of the moment when we got really we started to get like really excited but like fuck like we can continue to share this thing that means so much to us because it connects us with other people and hopefully then it can connect them too and 
Mezcal is such a simple and history of it is so rich and it's, there's nothing about it that's innovative, to be honest with you. Like it's not an innovative thing. It's agriculture. It's agave farming. It's been around since the dawn of time. Like we're not worried that like, oh my gosh, someone else might come along (laughs) and like make a better Mezcal. Like it's you guys that are making it different. Yeah. We're, we're, we're just like, we're just using it for a, a, a way to translate an emotion and an idea. And I, we, we like welcome other people to come into the game and do that ultimately. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and because of that, it's given us this kind of perspective that there's no race to get anywhere. Even the way that we're thinking about Miami, it's like, let's just suss it out and see if there's, if people are receptive to that idea of what Mezcal means to us. And if they are, then it makes sense for us. And if they aren't, then we keep it moving, you know? It's funny because Terry, what you were saying earlier about how friendship has been a really big thread in building this. I think I actually think about those nights of all of us together at Sammy, now Sammy and Austin's, which I'm like so not used to saying that yet. By the way, guys, these are our closest friends. I think about those nights and how often you guys would bring Rosaluna to the table and how Mezcal was not something that I was accustomed to drinking. It wasn't really in my Rolodex of drinks I was ordering at a bar at night. Through you bringing it to those nights where we would just have fun, drink, maybe watch a movie, whatever it was. By the time you guys had launched, I was like primed, ready to go. I could tell people how to make a drink. Like I was a full spokeswoman. And I just think that for people listening, like, and I say this so often with people who are building companies, you know, marketing it among your friends and like getting your friends to talk about it and like it. Like, I feel like that is the best form of marketing that there possibly is because that just spreads. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we talk about a lot too is, um, look, Nate Nate and and Nate probably way more experienced than I do, but you do that exercise of like, who's your target customer and who's your muse and start to build a profile around who that person is. And, And again, valuable exercise. I think it has a time and place. For us, it, this very much, you know, Rosaluna, I think, has been the most natural and, and maybe kind of, in a way, the easiest thing that we've done because the, the barometer, like the, 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 guy, the companies that we're using is like, you know, we're building this for ourselves. We're building this for our friends. So like if we ever have like lack of clarity or indecision around something, we just like ask ourselves or I'll ask Nate or we'll call up one of our friends. And, and that ends up being a really good guide for us and in every decision, small and big, that we, we end up making. Yeah, you have to build things that, that you want. You have to build things that you think are missing in your life and you want to make better. Yeah, that's precisely Mezcal to us. And I'll go as far as to say, I, I think the demographic profile exercise is actually quite predatory. But <laughs> I was going to say, I read something somewhere that you hate the word demographic. I don't know. No, target demographic. I, I, like, okay, in, I'm sorry, everybody. Let me clarify. Target demographic. Target. That sounds awful. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds a little scary. I'm like, I feel like you think that because now we get like crazy targeted ads on Instagram and social and you're just like, oh my God, you're in my space. Like, how did you know I was talking about that? Especially like, look, like maybe if you're building like software as a service or something, it's totally different and you can kind of veil behind like, I'm building this thing so that other, but like when it comes to a product that like lives and functions in the world, there has to be you in it. There has to be. Otherwise it's not real and people will figure that out very quickly. We'll be right back after a quick break. Did any of you do dry January this year? If so, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that after the first time I did it, I didn't want to stop. No hangovers, no brain fog. And honestly, I love a good non-alcoholic drink. My favorite is Kin Euphorics, the first non-alcoholic drink for grownups who care about the little things like brain function, hormone harmony, and de-stressing after an insane day. Kin Euphorics are stacked with the good stuff and none of the bad. Think adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms that can help curb stress in the moment and over time. 
as well as nootropics that support cognitive function like clarity, memory, and creativity. Plus, it's a brand built by women for women, which is something I know this community always loves to support. We've worked out a special deal for friend of a friend listeners. Receive 15% off plus free shipping on your order. And if you're ordering for your first time, trust me, order the high road. It's a calming flavor that goes great with the soda and lime after a long day of quarantine. It's my favorite. Go to kinuforks.com backslash Olivia or use code Olivia at checkout to claim the deal. That's K-I-N-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-C-S dot com slash Olivia. I want to rewind a little bit because I always like to give a baseline for all my listeners who might not be introduced to something or might not know what it is. Can you guys talk a little bit about what Mezcal is? I'd love to hear if you guys could talk about it in your own words. I'm going to try to do it abbreviated too, because Mezcal is a topic that I could talk about that we could both talk about for literally hours. I'm not wearing a watch, but I have time. Oh, a watch. Perfect. <laughs> Neither am I. So Mezcal, native to Mexico. Mezcal actually just means cooked agave. It's primarily made in um, Oaxaca in Mexico, which is a state south, south of Mexico, one state above Guatemala, I believe. And tequila is primarily made in Jalisco, which is a little bit further up the coast uh, north. With mezcal, various different elements all translate to varieties of different flavor profiles that you cannot engineer. It's impossible to engineer them. It just exists in the land. And it's really this product of the land in the most true and organic sense of the word. Like with mezcal, the entire process is handmade. There is no mechanical process throughout the entire creation of mezcal. You cannot do that. At the minimum, it has to grow to seven years to mature and can grow upwards of 30 plus years. So you talk about this idea of sustainability and time and speed. Mezcal is the antithesis of that, of, of speed. It's like just to get to a place where you can harvest your crop, you had to wait seven years. Wow. Now, of course, we have multiple crops growing, right? right? One's at one year, one's at two years, one's at three years. So it's not like we grow a crop to seven years, harvest it, and then wait another seven years. It's really this practice and patience. You take a axe, a machete, and you chop off the leaves and you get a piña, which is a heart of the agave. And once you get it to the palenque, you cook the agave in an earthen uh, pit, oven, big, huge pit in the ground. It looks like an earthwork piece of art or something. And um, the various elements around the fire kind of give it various flavor profiles, you know, dirt, clay, thatched with all the agave fibers, etc. You roast them like a barbecue. That is, by the way, the, hence where the smoke comes from. There's this amazing step in the process where you have these fibrous, soft agaves that are just like candy. You just eat them. Yeah, they sell them as a candy. Then you take them, you put them in this Tahona mill, and you mill them, mash them up. You know, you get just to break the fibers apart, and it gets really sappy and fibrous. And then you scoop them out with a shovel, and you put them into, uh, you go through the process of the fermentation. You pack them into these pine wood vats, basically, and they ferment. I mean, just even just hearing you talk about the experience of watching mezcal be made on the farm is incredible. And I wonder what that process was like of identifying that farm, building that relationship, building that mutual trust. Like, I've always been so curious about that as your friends, like how that came to be. You know, what was the moment? Just as context, the non-aha moment, but the kind of like moment when we started to take proactive kind of steps to like making Rosalind happen was, was, uh, kind of started here in Miami. And, uh, I was down here visiting a friend and was put in touch with this friend's 
mutual friend who I needed to meet. Another one of those situations, Terry was an I need to meet situation. And this was very similar. He was like, you've got to meet these guys. They're really great. They're from Mexico. You love them. And we went to a basketball game together at the heat, a heat game. And we ended up not accidentally not exchanging numbers. And it speaks to just kind of the fluidity of life, but we, we just like kind of went our separate ways. And randomly, uh, you know, I, I was going back to the hotel and then someone's like, oh, you got to come to this dinner unrelated to the friend that had invited me to the basketball game. Went to this dinner and across the restaurant, Pepe, his name is Pepe. Pepe was there and he's like, he was just leaving and I was just coming and he was like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about, I, I'm so glad I saw you. I wanted to get your number. And uh, we exchanged numbers and um, he became me and Terry's sort of first like partner in this project because we were uh, in New York drinking mezcal and we we're like, oh, it's just like, it'd be fun if we tried to make one ourselves. And so I sent Pepe this long drunk text. I'm surprised he replied to it, to be honest with you. And he responded very simply, like, this sounds really cool. Let's, let's do it. Come to Oaxaca. Let's, let's hang out. Let's meet. Let's visit some farms. Let's explore the process. And the, the one thing I would add, too, with, like, our farm, it's, it's run by a sister and brother, um, Frida and JJ. It's a beautiful family. They've been doing this for six generations. They're also single estate, which is really rare in Moscow. So they do everything under one roof. Um, they, they grow the agave. Uh, there's, like, two kind of distinct kind of memories that I have. The first is when we went to go visit them, as Nate mentioned, we, we actually were guests of honor of like the governor of Oaxaca when we went to Oaxaca for the first time. Yeah, like, what? Uh, Pepe set this up. Pepe's a boss, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Pepe on the show. Uh, <laughs> he sets this up. Anyways, we, we meet the governor of Oaxaca. We're guests of him and his, his wife. And he introduces us to like 10 different producers. So we're meeting with a bunch of people over the course of a week. And from the moment we met um, Frida and JJ, we knew it was like the right fit. Because also, by the way, we had lunch with them before we went talked to any business, before we yeah. went to see the farm or the palenque. It was like we sat down, had a three hour dinner or lunch and uh, just learned more about their family. The mom came. She still like is like the, the mother of the farm, if you will. So that that to us, I think, just kind of sealed the deal right from the beginning. And then the second ex memory I remember is uh, we actually flew them out to meet with our primary investor and one of our co-founders' families. And when we were kind of introducing everybody, Freddie's dad, Freddie's one of our co-founders, Freddie's dad, Carmen, goes, oh, you guys must be the Mescal producers. And JJ just politely goes, uh, we're actually not Mescal producers. We're agave growers, first and foremost. And so you could just tell from just that you know, brief exchange how much respect and integrity they have around you know, what they do. And the love for the process. So um, yeah, that was very memorable as well. I could see that permeating through the brand to where it is right now so much. Like I think everything you guys have done from like, even I'm holding up a glass right now that they gave me originally when it first came out, but anything from, you know, the clay on the bottom of this like tiny shot glass that I'm holding to the colors that you guys are using to the imagery that's on the bottle. I feel like there's a deep sense of respect for the people who have helped you produce this and the land that it's grown on. That's awesome. I mean, that's exactly what the, all of that stuff is. I mean, the bottle, it's funny, like as a being part of the, being a creative director and going through the exercise of like doing that for your own brand is actually really complicated because right. you're doing all the things that you try to train other people and your clients not to do, which is you're getting close to it. You're getting attached to it. You're getting, but all the answers were just right in front of us, right? Like, the the color wasn't like this 
it was just like, oh, everything in Oaxaca in Centro is like made of this clay. And so the color, and it's just that exact same tone. And we're going through the, you know, you're trying to find reference photos as a creative. You're always like referencing things and you're trying to find this reference that is going to pop out of nowhere and hopefully drive the inspiration to create the item. And at the end of the day, I was just, I ended up finding all the references just from iPhone photos that I had accidentally taken or like taken an off thing. Like it wasn't the mood board from Tumblr at all. It was just like, oh, let me just go through my phone and like remind myself what Oaxaca was like again. And it was like, oh, these this bread is everywhere. And okay, that's the color then. And the figures on the on the front of the label, like what what's happening there? Okay, they're just giving thanks to the moon actually plays a really interesting role in the creation of Mezcal. And um, ultimately that's the name, right? And the pollination happens at night. Various carrier agents pollinate the agave and it could be uh, hummingbirds, it could be bumblebees actually. Most, most commonly it's actually bats, um, which come out at night in, in Oaxaca and they pollinate um, and they kind of carry the strains of the various agaves that might be used to the fields. And so the depiction on the cover is just like this, humans basically just giving thanks for that process to be happening. And yeah, that's something you guys talk about a lot. It's in a lot of your messaging and it's definitely, it depends on how we define magic, but there's definitely a different kind of drunk to the drink. (laughs) (laughs) There's the magic, but there is, it's definitely a different kind of feeling. Um, I've never really woken up with a hangover after drinking Rosaluna, which is why it's my favorite, but would love to hear a little bit about what that magic is and why you just feel it's kind of like a different kind of spirit to drink at night. I think the the word magic is almost like intentional in that it's very like ambiguous and kind of like far reaching and, um, and, can, and, and is open for interpretation. So, um, but I, those are some of the things that come to mind for me is like, yes, the feeling that I have, and that's probably the initial thing that drew me to it. I'm reminded of like mine and Nate's friendship and how that's kind of been a constant thread um, to be honest, Rosalina is just a convenient excuse to spend more time with him um, <laughs> and hang out. So, That's really cute. Uh, that and then, and then, yeah, just like I think sharing it with our friends and just like the memories and experiences that that come from it. So, yeah, I want to talk about a little bit about where we're at now with it. You guys had a really, really, in my mind, I hate even I hate using this term. Sorry, but like when I just look back on like your quote unquote launch strategy, like it wasn't one. Like it was something that was so organic and like amazing the way that it was like, you know what I mean? Like you guys are both people in the brand space. Like we've seen big launches. Like it was something that was so organically rolled out and kind of given to friends and extended friends. Um, And I'd love to hear a little bit about what the thought process was behind that, because I do think there are probably some valuable takeaways in terms of bringing something to light um, during maybe this challenging time. Mm -hmm. First of all, thank you. It sounds, I mean, it's just cool to hear like that, that there was, I mean, a couple of things, like one of the exciting parts of this project to us is like, we, to your point, we come from the brand space. Like we've been part, we've participated in other brand launches that, um, that have had various goals and outcomes, et cetera. Um, The first thing that we tried to do or that, that we aligned on is like, we didn't want it to, we didn't want to make a splash. I don't believe in like making a splash or like a blowout launch or like, I, I it's like, we, we, we lined on like wanting to grow it. And so launch was just like the first date that we were available to like actually click purchase online or in a store that was launch. Right. And that means the brand. Okay. We launched, but it was never meant to be like, how do we blow out this moment and 
create buzz. Like another word that we like, it's like Voldemort to us. Like we don't, we're not trying to create buzz. We're trying to share something with people. And by the way, if that ends up generating buzz, subcategorized as press or mentions or social, (laughs) whatever, right. Then that's fine. But we're not engineering that to happen. And so that was, that was our launch strategy. It was like, how can we, now that we have this product on hand, you know, in the, in our like uh, cities that were, you know, we both kind of in New York, LA, we're kind of all over the place. It was just like, how do we then um, tell the story of this? And right. okay, that then it answers the question of like, or asks the question of where do we tell stories? Okay, so Instagram, right? Because I actually love Instagram. I think it's fucking awesome. <laughs> and I... Uh, I like text people on Instagram more than I do on iMessage or whatever. Oh, like, I it's know. Just where I talk to my friends. Yeah. And we share memes and we share photos, images. We just like talk on that platform. Nate put tried to put me, me and Alex on a on a group DM this morning for a business deal. A group DM with my boyfriend, me, Nate, and Alex for a business deal. I was like, wait, can we just text about this? <laughs> <laughs> this morning. Like, I hate messages. I always saw like signal or something. But, like the it's message, signal. the messages, like it's so archaic, like drives me nuts. But anyways, so that was just then the natural way to talk about it. It wasn't like, how do we, and we talk about this a lot. Like it's not about followers, it's not about, we don't even, I don't even look at that stuff. Like who cares? Like if we put something up that we believe in that we think like translates the story of the brand, I don't care if it has one like or one million, like it doesn't matter to me. I get there. I speak for both of us. Like, it doesn't matter. That's not the goal. The goal is like, that's just is our, that is our newspaper. That is our cable television station. That is our whatever. That is our medium ultimately. Yeah. I was going to say like an analogy that we used with our team, just as we were getting ready for launch is like, Hey, we're just getting to the starting line, you know? So like, there's no sense in like sprinting to the starting line because yeah. <laughs> you're going to be winded before the race even starts. Right. So so I don't know, and, and like an experience that I had um, in launching Panacea, the, the skincare brand that we had worked on for a few years, there was like such pressure in like launching launch. by a certain date. It was November 1st, 2017. Oh, it's like deeply, it's like trauma for you. It's deeply ingrained in your brain. <laughs> it was like, we, we are going to launch on this. I, I would give my left arm to launch on this day, you know? And, and so it was like, and I remember it happening and it was like a cool moment, but then it fades. Yeah. You know? So like, I think our goal here was like, you know, and I've, I've seen this, you know, both with myself and then even other brands there, there's such pressure and expectation that you build and, and it can be really hard to live up to. So I think for us, it was like, let's try to remove that expectation. Not, not because we don't have high standards, but like, let's just understand that again, this is a long-term, like an infinite game and we're not racing to some milestone or mile marker. Let's just like take it one step at a time and build and just enjoy, you know, kind of every step of the way as cliche as that sounds. Enjoying the process has been a big part of the project. So it's like going through the pain of not enjoying the process to hope that the, the outcome will be enjoyable is just sounds quite miserable. So my favorite thing, honestly, that I look back on in you guys building Rosaluna is actually how many times we've all been together as friends hanging out. And you guys very often say Rosaluna almost didn't happen. And you guys are kind of cryptic about it. You're like, there was a point where it didn't happen. We thought it wasn't going to happen. We kind of stopped talking about it. And I would love to hear about what that situation was like and what got you guys over that hump to actually make it happen. I remember when we came up with the name, Nate, Nate had suggested Rosalina. and was like, all right, that, that's it. And we filed for the trademark and just, just kind of faced a lot of resistance to that. It just ended up being a very like long process, like close to like 12, 18 months. 
And, you know, during that time, we were like looking at a bunch of different alternates, probably like hundreds, hundreds of different name options. And we kind of came to this place of peace of like, hey, if it's not Rosalina, maybe it's not meant to be like if we don't get it. Right. And so I think that was um, that's why I say like a lot of this was like it's kind of out of our control. Like we got really lucky. And, you know, I, yeah, like I think we worked hard. Yeah, I think we persevered to some degree. But a lot of it was just, you know, kind of having the right people you know, right timing, a lot of luck. I think that's a huge thing. I can't tell you how many friends around me all the time are like, oh, I want to start my own thing. I want to do this. I want to like, I want to have a product that I can sell. And I'm always like, I'm not going to offer you advice on that because until it's something that's like naturally driving you and it's instinctual and you need it and you want to share it with people, there's no point in doing it. It has to be something that feels really good to you. And that like, not, I don't mean to say like, the universe is naturally making happen, but like, there is a very, I feel like, distinctive feeling when you know that this is the right thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The uh, it's funny because I, I think like objectively, you could kind of almost look at like us being stubborn about the name as being precious with it. Right. But in a way, it was almost the ap- exact opposite. Like we were so yeah. unprecious with the idea that we knew that if we, like, it, like for example, if Jade, if we hadn't met with. Frida and JJ, there would be no Rosaluna. Yeah, right? We just knew like, because then if we're doing the alternative, we're engineering this thing that's not really ours, right? It's like not that special thing that it's, we're forcing it. And the name exercise for, uh, I think me and Terry personally was just like, it was, it started to become like, oh, this is now setting the culture and precedent for like what we're willing to do to force Rosaluna to happen. Right. What else will we do as a company to like, force this to make sense. And maybe then if we had picked one of the random names, we would remember our launch date and we would have these expectations around the brand that are, it was being at peace with the name happening or not happening, therefore the brand happening or not happening was us setting a tone of like, this is not something that we're engineering into the world. We're just organically letting it happen, organically letting it grow. And, and it doesn't feel right if it's not called resident less about like, Rosaluna is just a fucking name, right? Like right. it's not going to make or break the the business of the brand. So I think it could be easy to look at it. Like why wouldn't, like wouldn't you just want to pick a different name? Well, it just doesn't feel right. Therefore the brand maybe shouldn't happen. We'd have a different relationship with it, you know? Terry, one of my favorite things that you do on Instagram is you post musings and thoughts and almost like mantras that are going through your head. I wonder if there's one that sticks out to you that you can share that has been a driving force between you guys building the business. I actually think something I, I wrote yesterday is kind of relevant. Um, and something that Nate and I talk about a lot is like, we should put a premium on having fun, you know? And, 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 and like, for us, it's like, we have the added fun of like building a mezcal brand with my best friend. It's like, it doesn't, for our friends, like it doesn't get any better. Like you can't, couldn't have dreamt a better scenario. So I feel right. incredibly fortunate and grateful in that regard. And I think like this past year has taught us, you know, I think it's just a reflection of like, what's most important and um, what do we want to spend our time doing? What do we want to stop doing? And I think there's just this like premium on having fun. And, and I, I think I used to feel a lot of guilt around that because it's like, you should grow out of that. It's like, oh, having fun is like when you're younger and you should <laughs> oh work God. and like, you know, be career focused and vicious. And I, I think like, that's something that I've, I've learned and reminded of, uh, you know, constantly through our friendship is like, just like, let's just have fun, you know? And yeah. that doesn't mean we're not going to go through trying times and we need to confront difficult situations and, you know, persevere. Like all that stuff is part of the course. But I think making sure we have 
fun. And the person I, I was kind of quoting yesterday was Jim Collins, who's a very well-respected business author. And he talked about how, sorry for context, it was like he, his mentor right before he had passed away um, had a, like a quintuple bypass surgery for his heart. And I think like a couple of weeks after surgery, his mentor was having um, waffles with butter. And, he, and, and Jim was like, what are you doing? Like, how, why are you, you know, you just had surgery. Like you need to be very cautious about what you eat. And he just, he just had peace. He was like, Hey, like I've lived a great life and I'm going to have fun. I'm going to put butter on my waffles. So. Amen. Amen. What's both of your favorite hangover cures? (laughs) Nate's like hitting the gym at 5.00 AM. No, no, no. That is actually Terry. And it drives me fucking insane. How the tables have turned. Hangover day. It's okay to have a hangover day. I mean, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. My hangover is a bagel (laughs) with egg and cheese. Love it. If I'm really feeling myself, it's a roll. But, you know, like everything bagel, egg and cheese, toasted. I'm a breakfast burrito guy. Same all day, every day. Meet you at Country Kitchen when you get back from this Miami nightmare. Yeah, (laughs) you LA kids. (laughs) You LA kids. Hey, I'm a 50-50, okay? I know how to do both. True. It's true. That's true. Terry, you told us your favorite way to have have Rosaluna is neat. Nate, what's yours? Uh, I like all the... Yeah, fruit, sweet, like <laughs> I'll go. Oh, yeah, like mezcal margarita, by the way. I love like a grapefruit mezcal margarita. I love, I love a Paloma. I love grapefruit. And I think that grapefruit and mezcal are like. That's the way to do it. Okay, guys, where can people find Rosaluna? Uh, mezcal Rosaluna on Instagram and mezcalrosaluna.com. Mezcalrosaluna.com, find us. Find us? Yeah, find, find us. <laughs> I think it's mezcalrosaluna.com. Find us and then So House. We're in So Houses, by the way. People are oh, So yeah, House members. Point. We're generally at like the liquors, local liquor stores. We're primarily in New York, LA, Miami, Massachusetts, but we're soon going to be everywhere. So, also, my favorite way to get Rose Luna is Drizzly. It's very easy. I know you guys are partners with them. You can literally put in your zip code and it tells you all the local liquor stores. I got a bottle of Rose Luna yesterday in like 30 minutes. So, if you're in any of those areas where it services you, get drinking, have fun. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.